It's time now for the PDXO WASP podcast, brought to you by the Open Web Application Security Project. The views of the guests do not necessarily represent the views of OWASP, their sponsors, and other stakeholders. Enjoy the show. Our special guest today is Andrew Vanderstock. He's our new Executive Director at OWASP, taking the foundation through organizational change and taking our mission to the next level. Andrew is a seasoned web application security specialist and enterprise security architect. He has worked in the IT industry for over 25 years. He has researched and developed the web application security and architecture field since 1998. He's a lifetime member of OWASP, a former director, and co-leads the OWASP Application Security Verification Standard, ASVS, and is actively involved in other OWASP Top 10 projects too. Andrew is an Australian expat of Melbourne and Sydney, and he currently lives in the USA with his family. Welcome, Andrew. Congratulations on your new role as Executive Director of OWASP. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Tell us about yourself and your background in security. What motivated you to be in it? So I've been doing security now since, um, well, full-time, if you like, since 1998. Before then, I was a system administrator. In fact, I was actually even the president of SAGU, which is equivalent of Lisa. I got into security through privacy. At the hospital, there were doctors who thought the electronic patient records were theirs, when in fact, if it had been printed out, it would definitely not be theirs. So we didn't have laws back then to really cover patient privacy, but there are now. That's how I got into it. I've always been about protecting humans and their data. I really care less about like stack traces and things like that, but it, To me, I never got into it to control people. I got into it to protect people and make things better. That's great. So for our new listeners who don't know, what is OWASP? OWASP is the Open Web Application Security Project. We don't generally spell it out like that anymore. We sort of just use the word OWASP. OWASP is the premier web application security and generally now application security community. We have about 58,000 people who talk to us on a regular basis. We have around 3,100 members who pay us. We run a bunch of different conferences and events throughout the year. Obviously with COVID, things have changed a little bit and we might talk about that at the very end. But fundamentally, um, OWASP is about making sure that people are aware of application security issues, how to actually address them. Hopefully we can reach out to developers, but the vast majority of the people that we work with are generally, how can we describe them? Information security professionals. And that community is already converted. So I think our next generation of mission has to go back to our roots and get there with getting back onto the developers. Andrew, what is the state of the union in regards to OAS today? And where would you like to see it go under your leadership? So right now it's very... Um, I don't think this is a secret. It's very restive. There's a lot of people who are quite unhappy. The reality is, is that our policies are getting rejuvenated. I, we need OWASP to dream big. We cannot think small thoughts. And one of the things that we've just recently got onto, and I do realize this might be an upcoming question, we just got onto the Linux Foundation's new entity, the Open Source Security Software Foundation. OpenSSF, and we've been invited. I'm sitting on the board of CAPEX CWE. We didn't get invited for those particular things and, you know, being at the same board as Google and IBM because we thought small. We have ambition and our policies don't reflect that ambition and we need to update them. Any policy that makes it difficult for a leader to contribute, to actually produce a project or difficult to run a chapter, that has to go. And unfortunately, there are some folks who are really into the status quo because it suits them. But we need to get to 
30,000 members. We need to get to 2,000 projects. We need to go to four global events. We need to really get out there and promote the hell out of ourselves to new communities who are only sort of aware of us through Stack Exchange and things like that. If we constantly are bickering about the little things, like, for example, anything that's worth less than $250, the policies are complete and utter failure. We have to completely rewrite them and get out of the road of people who are doing. That's really big under my watch. If we are going to do something and we're going to do it 10,000 times a month, that's the scalability that we need. If we can't do something in an automated way that allows our, our community to self-service, manage independently, and scale out. You know, for projects, for example, we compete with GitHub. GitHub, you can create a new project in about 20 seconds. You don't get a lot of support. We provide a lot more support. But at the same time, we have this convoluted process where people are involved and people make judgment calls. No, our competitor is GitHub. We need to get to a place where we are enabling the platform and we make sure that we're actually doing things that get the message out there. And I think that's a really important change for us. That's great, Andrew. So you, I mean, you've put in the sweat equity on a number of different OWASP projects, including flagship projects, I'm thinking OWASP Top 10, I'm thinking OWASP ASVS. I saw you've been involved with OSV, ASVS since uh, version one and now we're in version four. Yeah. Would you yeah. mind just giving, I know, you know, a lot of people are familiar with OWASP Top 10. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting how OWASP Top 10 is thrown around as a standard, but would you talk a little bit about the difference between OWASP Top 10 and OWASP ASVS, where they complement each other and how they're different? Absolutely. So the OWASP Top 10 is awareness and that's all it is. That's what I wrote in the 2007 um, forward. I even asked people not to make it a standard without asking us first, because we could always do better. I had the idea of the proactive controls back then. I worked on it, the proactive controls with a gentleman from Telstra back in 2012, but I didn't have time to make it work. But realistically, the OS top 10 is the 10 worst things you can do. That isn't the way to get things built. You can't build a bridge by saying, don't make it out of matchsticks. Don't make it out of mud. You can, you can tell them, please use this particular type of steel or this particular type of concrete, and it must meet these particular specifications. That's what the difference is. The ASVS is highly specific. It's highly testable. Every single requirement, and unfortunately, there's a lot of them, you can test them. You can test them using unit tests. You can test them using integration tests. You can test them using penetration testing or code review. You can do it for design. It's incredibly deep. You can use it in many different ways. The OS Top 10 is literally, this is the minimum you need to avoid to avoid negligence, and that's it. Funny story, the OS Top 10, when it, 2007, when it first came out, was almost immediately adopted by PCI DSS, and they made it a standard. So I'm so sorry to everyone in the FinTech who has to do PCI DSS. <laughs> we could have done a lot more, lot, be, lot, lot better if they'd only asked us for a little bit of help. That is funny. So follow-up question on that. So ASVS level one, all machine testable. Do you have any examples that you know of, of companies that have published blog posts or write-ups on, on how they've incorporated that into their, their pipelines and whatnot? Um, I'm aware of how some have done it, but they haven't written anything formally. I think that's one of the things we do need to do for the next version is really try to get some case studies up. We actually know that, for example, parts of the Dutch government who donated some of the content to us, use the ASVS extensively. It's actually now required in England. So we know many firms are actually using it, but we don't know exactly how they're using it. I would love to understand how we can make it better or easier for them because there is a lot there. It's a hard thing to digest if you're jumping from nothing to having to test 100 and something controls. It's, it's not fun. 
Andrew, we recently had a podcast with Mark Kerfey, the founder of OWASP, regarding mm-hmm. some of his early visions for the organization. Yes. And one was creating a one-stop resource for developers who are not security professionals, per se. And it kind mm-hmm. of makes sense, right? Because those are the people architecting and writing the unintentional vulnerabilities. Most of our chapter members are security people. How can we get more non-security professionals who code involved in our local chapters? We actually have to use the same tool chains and get our stuff out of PDFs and into the IDE. We need to do things like turning ASVS into like, we can't write a unit test for a piece of code we've never seen in a language we don't understand, but we can certainly do something like, for example, create GitHub Actions that uses OSAP. We need to get into the developer pipeline and the developer mindset and we need to turn OWASP from being, this is a big fat PDF that's going to land on someone's desk to this is actually a little bit of code that you grabbed from Stack Exchange and it's right. Okay, so to get to the developers, we must participate in developer conferences. We must partner with them. I would highly recommend our community getting out into Stack Overflow where a lot of really bad code is actually at and start pushing our content and helping people. Like literally, you know, if you've got a few spare minutes, just look up, you know, SQL injection or cross-site scripting or something and just look what they're talking about and help them if they're like just trying to copy and paste something or they've posted a bit of code and they don't know why it's wrong. They've got a penetration test report they need to fix. We need to support the developers by going to where they are. We can't keep on asking them to come to us. The original OS developer guide, which is what Mark Kirby started back in 2001 with a few others, that was the early days when there was basically Java, Perl, and PHP. There wasn't a lot else. That was it. And it was easy to have a developer guide that covered off the major technologies in use. I mean, classic ASP was in use as well, but today... There are, you blink and there's a new JavaScript framework and it's got security issues. How do you actually address that? I mean, it's one of those things we can tell people to go ahead and, um, you know, use React because it's basically cross-site scripting proof. But what about all the code that's not written in React? What about all the new frameworks that we don't even know of yet that are just gathering steam? What about Rust? What about Go? We don't address any of that. So I think we need to be a little bit careful about saying we're going to do it everything because we can't but i think we need to enable um for example in the same way we do translations for the asvs and to the top 10 we need to help developers help us translate some of our materials into their favorite language so a big announcement this week you mentioned earlier linux foundation the collaboration for open source security foundation yep. do you mind talking a little bit about the goals for that foundation and okay so essentially sharif manzor has been steering this for some time and i would actually recommend if you've got some spare time to reach out to sharif and do another podcast with him but Fundamentally, the idea is is that, and again, this is the developer-centric part of it, the other folks at the board of the OpenSSF, big hitters, GitHub, Google, IBM, Red Hat, at the end of the day, we're at the same table, and that's fantastic. And from our point of view, it'll actually help us. Like There might be, for example, a, a Google project that is put into the OpenSSF, and we might help improve that. Or we might put a project that we want funded, for example, say, for example, there's a project that just needs to get over the line, we might be able to put some of our effort into asking our partners to get some projects completed that would actually be developer-centric. I do see this as tangible. I don't think it's just simply setting standards or anything like that. I think it's really helping people move to the next level, making sure that we've got the tools and the knowledge that are passed on directly. 
And I think the right people are at the table there. It's going to be fantastic. Andrew, you just, you talked about the OAS top 10 previously here. And I think that's what people think of OAS, you know, as being one of the most famous things for it. Yeah. The last update was 2017, which I have a story, by the way, I want to tell you. <laughs> so I wrote this course for this previous company based on the OWASP top 10. I finished it. It took us several months to get it. And as soon as I finished it, it was like literally that week when it was changed. <laughs> so I had to Sorry. go back, update. It is like over, I think it was over the holidays or something. And I think there was like an intermediate one before that. But mm -hmm. uh, what is the process to come up with that list? And how do you know when it's time to refresh it? And I, I can imagine if I was a fly in the wall, there's probably a lot of passionate debate that's taking place behind the scenes as to what goes on that list. Yeah, so in 2017, it was quite controversial. And in fact, it was an example of pretty negative community. I would certainly suggest that period is not a good period to revisit, but it shows that there is passion about the OS top 10 and what is in there. We want it to be evidence-based. If we're going to ask people not to do 10 things, those 10 things need to be important. So I was really, really keen on us including, for example, looking at your logs because the Verizon data breach report shows that the number of days between being breached and discovering and then addressing the breach is still very high. Our software is the firewall. It's not this you know, magical device that sits over there that says, oh, I've looked at the attachments that were in this email. No, it's in the apps. And the apps need to be able to respond and notify people who can take action, you know. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have that in there. So people get passionate about it. I do want it to be evidence-based. So we actually collect data from a bunch of different people. At the moment, the next edition, we wanted to do it for 2020, but COVID, we just couldn't get enough data. We didn't have the data we needed to really get going on analysis. So the data collection is still running. That'll be running until November. We will then analyze the data. We're actually doing it in Power BI this time. We're actually accepting anonymous data submissions. We, as the project, need to know who you are because we need to trust the data that's coming in. But there are plenty of firms who would contribute data if only they knew that their name wouldn't be on it. And so that's an in increase. And also we want to widen things to include all of the bug bounties, you know, source code vendors, tool vendors, boutiques, and obviously the original data source, which I've been using since 2007, which is the CVE details. Like if you go to CVE, the MITRE data set there is an incredible thing. And just really quickly, they're about to release the CWE Top 25, which is the replacement of the SANS Top 25 that they used to yeah. do. That's actually coming out on August 20. So I do look for that. It's going to be fantastic. And they use a very similar methodology to us, but they obviously concentrate on the data set they have, whereas we're a bit broader. That's great. So we've talked about a couple of the flagship projects, ASVS, OWASP Top 10. What are some of the other projects and, and what are some of the up-and-comers, the incubators that, that you're keeping an eye on? Okay, so some of the flagship projects that our community really loves is the OWASP Cheat Sheet project. I really wish they were at our website because I would almost guarantee that they're probably the most heavily used because it is so easy to digest that and developers can use it directly, which is fantastic. Honestly, my favorite OWASP project, and I'm very biased here, is the OWASP Juice Shop project. That is an amazing, amazing learning process. I love it because I can give it to my students students, I get them to run it up on Docker on their own computers, they can take it away with them. I love OS Juice Shop. If you haven't tried it, give it a go. It's fantastic. There's so many great projects. Let's look at some of the labs and the incubators here. OS DevSlop. Why is that an incubator? That really needs to be a lab project. That is an amazing project itself. I love that one. Let's look at what else we've got. 
So something like the security headers project, which helps people actually just have secure headers, so you don't have to think about it, that's exactly the sort of project that we need to be investing in so that it can get up to flagship. So the developer can just simply say, I've included that, my headers are now good. They don't have to think about anything else, we're done. That's exactly the sort of help that we need. We, we shouldn't be writing, oh, you need to understand how this attribute works or that particular secure flag works. No, drop something in, it's secure. Job done. That's exactly where we need to go. So there's plenty of projects that are actually on our projects list and they're some of my favorite ones. Yeah, that's great. And what would you say, like our, our membership, we have a, a wide range of people who have lots of scars on their fingers and, and skin knees. And then we have people who are just getting started. Mm. For for those who are just getting started or for those who have experienced but maybe haven't contributed to a project, what, what steps would you advise them to take to to learn more about how they might be able to get involved? Yeah, I'd absolutely encourage people to get involved with the project. Find the thing that scratches your itch. I mean, at the end of the day, basically, there's no point in me asking you to work on something like, you know, a a COBOL security project if you have no interest in COBOL, don't have access to a mainframe, and that doesn't really make you excited. I got involved with the top 10 and the OS developer guide and then the ASVS because they were relevant to my job. Before I really got into it, I just helped out with a few edits here and there. I really got to know the project in detail. One of the problems that we've had, I actually had a gentleman try to review the OS top 10 for what he considered methodology problems. And then he came back with a whole bunch of things that he felt was wrong with it, not understanding it's an awareness piece. You need to understand what the project's trying to achieve. If the ethos and philosophy of the project is not what you expect, how are you going to contribute to it? And the great thing about OS is if you disagree with that, fork it make it your own and job done. But I do encourage people to work with what is that project. And for example, if you're going to get involved in OSAP, it's a Java project. It's got a lot of historical code base. I'm pretty sure that those guys are trying to re-engineer a large part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, It'd be really cool if people with Java skills could help those guys out. It's very unusual to see a, a thick client written in Java today. And I know the guys are trying to modernize things. They would certainly love to get some help. But to be able to accept that help, it needs to be written in a Zap-like way. You can't just jump in there and start creating code, uh, you know, even in a different language like, you know, for example, Rust or whatever, because you think it's a better API server. No, you need to work with the code that's there and the leaders that are already there. Contribute a little bit, contribute a lot, and then you become a leader. That's exactly how Josh Grossman became an ASVS code leader. Yeah, and I, I want to extend that also to Threat Dragon because I'm a big proponent for threat modeling and to have a good tool and a machine-readable tool, by the way, uh, for mm. threat models that you can tie into other aspects of, say, uh, a software development lifecycle tool or something like that is huge, and they need help uh, too. Yeah, I would love, and this is actually one of my pet peeves, that I haven't had the time to think about this. I would love to be able to create a standard way of annotating code in different languages because most of them have this you know, ability to annotate code. But then that would automatically produce a threat model. Mm-hmm. I would love, I would truly love to see that so that you actually had a language that you could consume, like, you know, here's some files and the annotations are correct and the Threat Dragon can present you an automatically generated threat model. That'd be fantastic. And if it's text-based and it can be treated just like source code and people can mm. review and give it a plus two, whatever. And, and that's, that's a good thing too. I would love to yeah, see. Absolutely. You were talking a little bit earlier about COVID. How has COVID affected OWASP? So OWASP is traditionally, in the early days, we didn't really have very many staff. We could actually just achieve what we wanted to do with running one or two conferences a year and that was it. We now have seven staff. 
and we got addicted to event income and without events we don't have that income and I think it's fair to say that we have a runway where we have to get this worked out or we have to downsize or close up shop. So we are currently working our way through trying to figure out how to do virtual events, how to do virtual training. I know this is a bit disappointing to some, but, you know, if, you know, for example, we've, we've had some trainers who think that the splits that we give them are a little bit unfair. The reality is, you know, we're not making a great deal of money from the virtual training and that is reflected in the trainer payments. And everyone needs to, you know, earn an income and I'm not begrudging the trainers at all. But at the end of the day, it's a different world and people don't value virtual training in the same way they do on-site training. And even though the costs are much less, the reality is people are paying less. We absolutely do need to spread our wings and do different things. One of the things that you're going to see in the operational plan that's coming up is we're going to be concentrating on things like grants, fundraising, donations. We really want to rev up membership, make it more valuable so that more people join. Obviously, we're working on the idea of being virtual native because we're probably going to have to do that completely through 2021 as well. And we need to get that right. And the other parts of it is that we really are using some of these partnerships, uh, such as with the Linux Foundation, to try to leverage some of those relationships that we probably have let go in the past and just we didn't need the money. So to maintain vendor neutrality, we never really tried to work out how that might work. So we're going to do a lot of different things and some of it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable to some of the community. But if we're to survive, we have to diversify from event income because I don't think it's going to be our major form of income for at least the next two years. Well, as a member of OWASP, as a leader at OWASP, I really, really appreciate the work you're doing and the thoughts that you're putting towards how do we maintain resilience and, and get through these times. It's, it's good knowing that you're at the head. Yeah. The way I'm proposing it for the operational plan, I don't know if you're going to keep it or not, but I want to do survive. Like, how do we just get through? How do we focus back on our mission and get back to our roots? And then the last part is thrive. How do we actually take the reform that we're putting in place to make once we get back on our feet in 2022, we've built a much better mission, a much healthier community and a more diverse set of income to a support of, you know, way more activities than we're doing at the moment. If we just try to survive and become this small target OWASP, I think that's a mistake. And I think that's probably where we, you know, we need to maintain relevance. So I think it was just a, a day or two ago, Adam Shostak on LinkedIn asked basically how how would you advise people for getting into a career of cybersecurity? He gets asked with this all the time and he doesn't really know. So he was asking people like, give me your feedback. Yeah, I honestly think that's part of what we need to do to focus on our mission is to actually help people in all stages of their career, like how to go to management, but also how to get into it and run training sessions. So I know this might be related to a little bit of promo that we're going to do a little bit later, but we're running some free training. Beyond's running Introduction to Modern Web App Testing at our virtual training event in August. That's perfect. You know, one of our community leaders is running training. People can, you know, attend this virtual session and learn how to attack modern web applications, which are pretty much the only sort you see today. That's exactly how we need to do it. We have to have more events and more. This is a great pathway. So here are some testing apps like Juice Shop. Here is a curriculum. So we've just established an education and curriculum uh, committee. And they're going to work on a tertiary curriculum and an industry curriculum. And then people can build those out. So we want to provide everybody the ability to get into our industry because it's a great, like, despite the fact that, you know, for many, it's really well paid. It's actually a really fun industry to be in. 
Mm. You know, sometimes it's great to be surprised. I'm getting paid to do this. It's, oh, really? But the reality is, is that we need more people to be able to do it. And I would really love to be able to say, you know, in the same way that not everyone needs to be an architect or an engineer, but builders need to know roughly what those things are. And I really want to make sure that developers have access to our materials as well, because a lot of the common stuff that we're doing in how to become a security professional is common to how does a developer be better at security. I think they, they have a lot of overlap there. Many, many thanks, Andrew, for joining us today. Do you have any upcoming events that you would like to promote? I know you did some right now, both for yourself and OWASP. Yeah. So it, in September 2021, we are doing the, that's our 20th anniversary. We're going to be kicking off a one year long set of themes about our 20th anniversary. That'll be starting in September sometime. I need to find out from Mark what day he actually made OWASP. Um, I don't know exactly which day it was. We'll get that right by the September 2021. And we've got our AppSec virtual event coming up in October. I mentioned the August training. That's also available. That's the summer of security. But I would strongly recommend um, people who are interested in doing more or less a traditional type of conference. We're doing something very different this time. You're going to have access to all of the presentations for nearly a month. And you can watch them in your own time. So instead of saying, oh, I can't see this session because, you know, three other people and my friend is talking over there. No, we're going to give you the ability to watch the sessions in your own time, on your own devices, at your own pace. Keynotes will be live. The training will be live. But the actual sessions themselves will be available for 21 days. So I do encourage people to come by and see what's happening. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Andrew. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Andrew. Good chatting with you. No worries. Thanks. Take care. Bye. To hear this podcast again, visit anywhere a podcast is played. For more information, go to owasp.org forward slash www forward slash chapter forward slash Portland.